And welcome back. How's everyone getting on? Good. Uh, today we're joined by Dominic Burgess. How about you introduce yourself, sir? Hi! Uh, okay, I'm Dominic Burgess. Uh, what do you want to know? I'm from Stoke-on-Trent, Staffordshire, originally, and I'm an actor. Now I'm uh, primarily based in Los Angeles. I have five cats. If you want to talk about cats, uh, I could talk all day. Um, and yeah, that's me, actor, uh, and now writing and, and sort of branching out into directing. That's me in a nutshell. Yeah, we're definitely a fan of your directing and your acting. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, in combination, they are beautiful. Um, if anyone who's watching recognizes this lad, you may have seen Sam did it. Very well received, very amazing short film. Absolutely love this. So I suppose we'll start there. Sam did it. Yeah, it's my my baby, or I say it was my baby. By the time we were done with the film festivals, I was ready to push it out after college. Be like, get out of my house. Um, yeah, Sam did it. Uh, was something that was born out of, um, you know, when when you're acting, so much of your career is waiting for roles to come along and for auditions to come along and maybe you get an audition and you audition and maybe you don't get the role or maybe you get down to the wire and you don't get it and you know you're you're always at the the beck and call of other people someone's always in charge of, of your career and, and sam did it came around just through wanting to do something for myself, to make something for myself, to write something for myself, to 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 jump behind the camera and and flex those muscles instead of just waiting by the phone all the time. And so I I was in a writing class at the time, and and everyone was writing these big pieces. You know, I, I wrote this World War II film, and I was in the middle of writing another feature film, and. It was all stuff that, that no one could ever get made. And our teacher at the time was like, hey, you know what? Just everyone go away, write something that's 10 pages long. And then by the end of the year, just go film it. Film it for yourselves and just make it. And um, and we did. So many of us did. And, and it was it was great. It was a real push out of the door to, to get our, our hands into production and finding locations and figuring out a budget and putting everything logistically together. Um, and that was where Sam did it was born. Um, and it was, it was a great experience. I, I had the, the most wonderful time doing it. And now I'm trying to figure out what's next. I, I have a couple of feature films that are bubbling away, uh, but I'm, I'm really just anxious to, to make something else in the interim. Yeah, with that industry, there's basically no time for being at a standstill. You've got to be involved in something or working on something. Um, that's a big misunderstanding that every actor is rolling around in dosh after doing one movie. You know, you get the paycheck for that thing and you have to move on to the next thing. Or you're oh my gosh. The paycheck you just got. Yeah, everything is, it's, it's always paycheck to paycheck. You know, um, for better or worse, no matter what job I'm working on, especially at the, the, the level of the career that I'm at, I, I never feel like I have the luxury to 
sit in the enjoyment of the job and say, oh my gosh, I've got this job for two weeks because I know that at the end of that two weeks that there lies unemployment and you're on the lookout for the next audition or the next job, where, wherever that may be coming from. And yeah, uh, at this point in my career, I've never had the luxury of being on a project. I mean, I, I'm lucky, knock on wood, right now I'm on a, a job that's going to last for four months. Um, but even at the end of that, um, I know that in the last month I'm going to be looking and hunting for, for something to do in, in March. And when you go through those uh, periods of unemployment, it's not like you're, you're skint. It's, it's like you're looking for something in between projects. Um, do you ever try like fill up with say extra work or anything like that? No, you know, I, at, at the beginning of my career, um, I mean, before I went to drama school, I was doing extra work. There was something that came to Stoke-on-Trent called uh, In a Land of Plenty. And I did background work on that. And then I did some background work on D.L. and Pasco that was on the BBC back then. Um, and then I went to drama school. And from that point on, I, I didn't do any background work uh, from that point on. But, you know, uh, the, the first seven years of my career, while I was in London, I graduated from drama school in 2004. And to get by, I had a job in a, a lettings agent and I was working in HMV in their, their DVD department. For, for three years and then I moved to Los Angeles and I was working in a movie theater for another four years and I had extra side jobs at Blockbuster Video that lasted for three weeks and something else at Universal Studios that lasted for three weeks. Um, but it, it wasn't until the end of 2012, I'd been acting for, oh no, I'm gonna have to do maths. I've been acting for six years, six, seven years and I needed a day job to sustain me uh, for those first seven years. And then I was reaching a point where auditions were becoming more frequent and I was booking a little bit more. And to keep asking for time off from my day jobs was starting to annoy my managers and my supervisors. And the, the day job I had at the time was was at the cinema. And I booked a job on a Disney sitcom called Ant Farm that was supposed to be for three weeks. And I said, hey, I got this job for three weeks. I'll still come in and work on the weekends. And they gave me the ultimatum of, well, you have to think about your professional discipline and your business conduct. So you can't do both. You have to decide if you want to go and do that or if you want a job. Um, and so that was it. It was the that was the ultimatum that pushed me out of the door. Uh, and that job ended up lasting for, for half a year. So yeah, I mean, I would have done the job anyway, even if it was for three weeks, because, you know, I feel like that's a decision as, as an actor that you, you make is knowing that when you get a day job, you have to be able to drop it at any moment uh, to go and do what you love or what you want to do, I guess. And it's scary. I have friends that have, I don't want to say fallen into the trap because, you know, work is work and, and everyone has to pay their bills. But I have friends that graduated from drama school and they started working at a company and they started rising 
and they became supervisors and managers and then before they know it that's that's their world and acting falls by the wayside and and i i know that's something i never wanted to happen uh for me yeah um i think there's a misunderstanding of people thinking acting is an easy job uh number one job security isn't the best and sometimes even your paycheck isn't the best um you know people who are put putting into the jobs can be taking a big slice and that can affect your income pretty heavily uh, even with extra uh, companies like in the case for Ireland um, one extra group here takes half of what they offer you and it's it's a shame because they have a monopoly over extras in Ireland it's such a small island yeah it's it is it's so tough and you know <sighs> The, the thing with acting is that there's no right or wrong way to, to go about doing any of it. You might get training, you might not get training, you might be making work for yourself and short films and building up a resume that way. You might be waiting for TV credits to roll in, you might want to focus on film or theater. Um, and it's true, especially when you're starting out and especially when you're starting to do short films and there's there's many voices that, that you know, we'll, we'll chip into this and this is my opinion. You know, when I was first starting out, yeah, I'd do things for free. If it was a role that I'd never had a chance to do before, then yeah, I'd do a short film or yeah, I'd do a feature film that didn't pay or maybe paid like 20 pounds for for the day that, that yeah, paid for my tube ticket things. or, you know, I, I've done that stuff and then the more that you work and and the older you get and the bigger your resume gets then you know you start to make decisions about like hey i've already done this kind of role maybe you can pay me a little bit more or, or something it's or maybe i can turn it down there was someone i can't remember who it was that, that gave me an excellent frame of reference for how they chose jobs was that when you choose a job, there's sort of three criteria that they broke it down into. And one was money, and one was exposure, and one was enjoyment. Yeah. And if a job wasn't going to fill two of those criteria, that you shouldn't do the job. So if it's going to pay you a lot of money and it's going to be fun, go and do it. It might not be artistically fun to do, but go, go do it. Uh, and if something is going to be a lot of exposure and it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's not going to pay you, then, you know, still go do it. There's, there've been jobs that I've taken, you know, for, for money. Absolutely. Then I'm like, oh, I don't really like the role, but I also want to pay my rent next month. Um, yeah. And they're the decisions that, that you make. And, and it, I think it's easy for people on the outside to say, Oh man, why did they do that awful film? <laughs> um, because they have bills to pay. And no one goes into something thinking that they're going to make an awful film. There's a lot of criteria that go into I'm rambling yeah. so much. I'm so sorry, yeah, guys. This, no, this, no, this no, 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 yeah. It's important. Uh, it's your, your experience. Like, you want to hear about it. Especially with like, advice with like people who want to become actors. They need to realize the reality that it's not all just fame and fortune and that there's... Yeah. Oh. it's it's a tough world you know it's it's so tough 
you know, I, oh man, I, I had days when I was working in HMV in, in Wandsworth where I was having panic attacks, especially in London. I found London so hard that I think it's crazy. I, I would be lucky if I had an audition maybe once every four or five months when I was working in London. And, and then this, this sort of pressure builds up that, oh man, I've got to book this audition because if I don't book this audition, then I'm not going to have another audition for, for another five, six months. And, and I'm going to be a failure and then I'm going to be, oh man. Um, and yeah, oh man, there were days when I had panic attacks and there were days where, gosh, I, yeah, I can't even describe just the, the wanting to, I had such a hard time in England that I would go to agents and write to agents and I was really proactive to the point where I wasn't getting responses to letters and I would start knocking on doors in, in London. And one day an, an agent who had seen my showcase at drama school said, okay, come on up. And we chatted for 15 minutes and it was, it was a nice chat. And he said, look, I think you're really talented. Just, I just don't know what I would cast you as. And you know, just that kind of mentality was so hard to deal with. And it was so different when I came to Los Angeles that you would meet agents and managers and casting directors and they would say, oh my God, you could play a cop, you're the schlubby next door neighbor guy, you're the comic relief, you're this, you're that, you can be an yeah, intern, a nurse. I definitely see you as comic relief straight away. So there, there was just a, for me, there was just a, a mentality shift when I, when I came to Los Angeles that people were willing to give you more of a, an opportunity and willing to let you audition, willing to let you put yourself on tape that I never really got in, in London. And still to this day, I find it so hard in, in England. You know, I, I've been working in Los Angeles now for, for 13 years and I'm knock on wood, steadily working now um and i still the job that i'm on right now is a, a most wonderful job that's that's gonna last for four months and the morning that i booked it out here i got dropped by my uk agent um and it yeah it's so it's so odd and i can't explain so much of the business and this is just my perspective there might be people that that go to London and all the doors open and they have the most wonderful time. Uh, but London was not my city. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. You know, I suppose London's too full and you know, the movie industry there or TV industry, blah, blah, blah. It's not big enough to sustain the amount of people there. But when you go to Los Angeles, the whole place is built on film, TV, so on. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Los Angeles and there, there are more productions and, you know, not to, to be all about the money. I felt like when I was in drama school, there was sort of a mentality that you're going to be an actor and, you know, you should be happy working in a black box theater, working on the Isles of Shetland for five pounds a night. And you should be happy doing that for the rest of your life because it's the art that sustains you. And it's really not, you have to find a way to 
you have to find a way to, to make a living at, at doing it um, and sustaining yourself. And, and that's what I found in Los Angeles was a way of, a, just a way of living and being able to act and do what I want to do. And yet now I, I, I teach some acting, I teach some writing, but you know, it's all still part of that creative world, which, which fulfills me. Um, that's, that's what Los Angeles has given me. And I have other friends, you know, that have come to Los Angeles to try and give it a try. And this isn't the town for them and that's okay. Yeah. You know, there's, there's New York, there's Atlanta, there's Vancouver, um, London. I have friends that uh, have emigrated to Australia. Um, you just find what, what works for you. That's the other thing about acting is what works for one person is not going to work for someone else. You could have 20 actors in the same room, meeting the same casting directors, given the same opportunities, and everyone's going to have wildly different careers. 100%. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. But it's definitely cool. So some of the jobs you can get into, mm. even with very little experience. Um, but has there been any downside to living in LA? Um... I mean, you know, I feel like moving to Los Angeles was, was the best decision that I have ever made, personally, for me. Um, I know people say that it's a, a tough town to get to know people in, but I, I got here November of 2007, just as the writer's strike back then was starting and I got a day job at the movie theater right away. So I met a, a whole circle of friends pretty immediately. And then I started taking classes at an improv school. So I met a bunch of people there. And I mean, it was a terrible time for the industry, the writer's strike, because there were no, there were no TV shows being made. There were no films. Was the writer's strike. There was a writer's strike in 2007. Um, where the, the writers union, the WGA, went on strike for, for pay reasons and uh, I think crediting reasons. I don't know the ins and outs of, of that strike, um, but it shut the industry down for six months out here. And I sort of landed at the beginning of that. And from the outside looking in, you might say, oh my God, what a terrible time to arrive in Los Angeles. Yeah, but, <laughs> but actually, it was so beneficial because all of these casting directors that would normally be too busy to meet people had nothing to do. And so they were holding general meetings, they were taking classes and workshops. And I decided, I sold my car before I moved uh, to LA. I sold my little Vauxhall Corsa in England and I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll get a new car when I get to LA. And instead of buying a new car um, or a secondhand car, I wasn't going to buy a new car. I didn't have the money for that. Um, but I thought instead of buying a car, I'm going to pump all of my money into acting classes and workshops and meeting as many casting directors as I can. And I must have met 75% of, of the casting directors in LA when I first got there because this writer's strike was going on. So for me, it was kind of benefit, or I used it to my benefit. Yeah. That makes me sound really shrewd and business-like, but I didn't really know what I was doing. 
No, you, you made a positive out of a negative situation, which yeah, you got to you got to take advantage of that, you know. Yes, Thomas. That exactly that. Yes, yes. Yeah, smart. You know, good on you. You know, well done. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I came here so wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. I got my my O one visa that they call it uh, that was going to last for three years, and. I remember going into my UK agents at the time and saying, hey, I got my O-1 visa. I can go and work in America. And just, again, the mentality of, of the industry there that I found was them saying, oh, that's nice, love. You're going to go to America? You're going to be a star? All right, well, we'll see you in three months. And just that kind of, um, But I moved to LA. I had a, my suitcase. I had no idea where I was going to live. I got a hotel for a couple of nights, jumped on a, a website called Craigslist and found this place to live um, in North Hollywood. And luckily it was a good area, but it was a, I had no idea what was a good area or a bad area. Um, and yeah, I thought, oh great, I got my O-1 visa. I can just go and work on American shows. And then you find out that you can't because you have to be in the acting union SAG. Um, S was on its own then. Um, and so you couldn't work on a SAG show if you weren't a SAG actor. And to get into SAG, you had to work on a SAG show, but you couldn't. If, so it was this catch-22 situation. Um, that's a bit dodgy humor. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's terrible. That sounds like an infinite loop. You can't work here because you don't have a SAG. But yeah, you weren't with us before. You can't join us now. I got it. Um, it was easy. It was harder back then. And I got it through doing a commercial and commercials were willing to pay the fine to hire non-union actors to work on union productions. Um, nowadays the, the unions have merged now SAG after a one union. And, um, I know you, you mentioned, we'll, we'll talk about Sam did it, but, now actors can make their own short films and become a SAG signatory and get themselves into SAG or you could for a while. I don't know if that's uh, sort of coming to an end, but um, now I think it's a, a little easier, but yeah, I was on this visa and then I think a lot of, I'm jumping all over the place, I'm so sorry. I think a lot of actors, myself included, think that there's always just the one next thing that is going to make their career work. And you, you're starting out and you think, oh, if I can just get into drama school, then everything's going to be okay and I'm going to be an actor. And then you graduate and you say, oh, all I need is an agent. And once I have an agent, everything is going to be perfect. And then you get an agent and then you say, oh, but all I really need is that first audition. And once I have an audition, then I know that everything's gonna be great. And you get the audition and you don't, don't get the job. And then you're saying, ah, all I really need, I'll take one line, I'll take one line on a TV show. And then I know that everything's gonna be okay. And it keeps, it keeps going and going and yeah. going. Yeah. And, you know, even here you say, ah, oh, all I need is six co-star credits and then I can get a guest star credit and then things are gonna roll. And then, then once you have a guest star credit, then, once you have six of them, then I can be seen for series regular roles. And it, it just doesn't, it does all normal thing and it just doesn't work like that. I think I have, had a, go ahead, go on, Thomas. No, 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 please. Are you giving up with, go on. Uh, we were talking to a guy pretty recently. And he was saying 
this is pretty common among actors. Um, there's always, I'll be happy when. Uh-huh. I'll be happy when I have this, when I have that, when I've done this, when I've co-starred in that. Uh-huh. It's never, I'm happy now, I want to go do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, have, you, have you experienced that yourself? Yeah, gosh, absolutely. And it's so fantasizing it, about the role, it, it, success it that might come with it. Back to, to what I think I was talking about earlier on is when you're acting, there's never a sense of security. And so you are always looking for what's next. And so, you know, I, I came into this job that I'm on right now thinking, oh my gosh how blissful it's going to be four months of, of work and I can relax and enjoy the role. Um, and to an extent that's true, but I'm already still for better or worse, mentally ticking away. Like, okay, I've got to think of what I'm going to be doing in March, what I'm going to be doing in April, what's going to be going on next year. And it's, it is, it's a terrible cycle to get into. Um, more terrible. I'm at my very worst when I am waiting for news on a big job. If you audition for a pilot, if you audition for something that, you know, what you might consider to be life-changing, and that can be anything, you know, I, I mentioned that I was working at this movie theater um, for the first five years that I was living out here. And what I mean by life-changing is you know, I, I would be making, if I was lucky, $200 a week working at the, the movie theater. And then a, a job comes along that's like, hey, uh, you want to be in Baby Geniuses 3, 4, and 5? And you think, eh, I don't know if I do. And they say, yep, it's non-union, so we're going to pay you $1,000 a week. And you think, oh my god that's going to change my life. And it doesn't. I mean, you, you go and you have the most amazing time and you get to go to Alaska and you, you get to meet new people. But then by the time you paid your taxes, which take out 40% of your paycheck, and then by the time you paid your agent, which takes out another 10%, and by the time you've paid your manager, it takes out another 15%. You know, you, you, don't, you don't make a lot of money Unless you're unless you're in the top point one five percent. Yeah. Yeah. We know people who be in the, in the top ten percent, top eleven percent of actors, and they say like, eh, "I'm comfortable." Uh huh. And then you're you're wondering like, "What about the other ninety percent? What's going on there?" Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm again. I'm I'm so lucky. At, knock on wood, that I'm in a position now where I can mentally say, "Okay." I can pay my rent for the next six months. If nothing comes in, I can pay my rent for the next six months. Yes. And that is my, luckily my comfort barrier. Um, and you know, during the, the pandemic, things got pretty down to the wire in terms of, oh, I haven't got any work for six months. And luckily this came along and I was, I was teaching a little bit, but you know, that, that barrier can, disappears so fast there's no guarantee that you're going to book any work or get any auditions so yeah it's it's a tough it's a tough business and the other thing i don't know if things have changed 
no one tells you about the business side of stuff. You, you go through drama school and it's about the work and the art and the auditions and feeling it in yourself and the emotions. Party, 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 yeah. but not business yeah. side. You know, it's, it's all important. And, and I love, I loved my drama school and I loved my training, but you graduate and then it's like, wait, what, how do I pay taxes? How do I, what, what do I do? How do I set myself up as a, a business? And no one tells you any of that stuff. Um, and same again, I wish, and I thought about it for a while and then I didn't, and the, the industry changes and everything changes. When I moved to LA, no one tell, there's no handbook to say what you have to do when you get to LA to, yeah. I mean, there are books that are like, meet casting directors and do this and but no one tells you about the fundamental like hey these are the taxes that you got to pay this is what you want to do if you want to become a limited company or an s corp um and again oh i forgot to tell you the o1 visa that i got um when i moved here so many i thought that i just needed to get sag and then the o1 visa that i was on stopped being accepted by studios. So then I couldn't work for CBS and Disney and Fox started not accepting them anymore. Um, so there were so many things that I couldn't work on. And it, it caused, I auditioned, I got a part on Tintin. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I did it. I got a part on Tintin and I'm gonna be directed by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and that was in, I, I think, the November of the first year that I was here fully. So November of 2008, I think I booked this role on Tintin. I auditioned in July, got told I got the part in November, and then came back to England for the Christmas holiday. And on Christmas Eve, had a, an email from Paramount saying, hey, we're not going to accept your O-1 visa. And then losing this part... Uh, do you know Honestly, what character it was? Huh? Do you know what character it was in Tintin? Oh man, it was small. It was like two, it was two lines and it was like a dockyard barman. Um, but I went in November down to the studios. I think they were just south of, of Los Angeles airport. And they showed me the sound stages that they were filming on. And Weta was there and they did a digital scan of my face and they fitted me for you know the the i guess like the wetsuit kind of thing that you wear with the the data point information with the white dots and they fitted a helmet to my head where the camera was going to be and they were showing me props that were these wire mesh things and just to be in a production of that scale at that point in in my career and to have to be able to put steven spielberg on your resume was just like mind-blowing and again fortunately I'd, I'd met the casting director for this during the writer strike because normally they wouldn't have met people and so you know I I'd met the casting director and, and it, it felt so serendipitous that everything was was falling into place and then the O1 visa started getting rejected by all these places uh, and it was a nightmare it was a real nightmare and I don't know how the situation has changed now. Um, I'm on a green card right now and I'm going through my citizenship process, but 
it was tough. And I'd advocate for anyone planning to move to Los Angeles to really look at the intricacies of the O-1 visa because you can't just work on anything. I think it's changed now. When I came over, it was like a blanket O-1 visa and I could work for any production company in any studio. And now I think it's changed where the O-1 visa has to be tied to a manager or an agency. And they are the only so ones that have auditions. Mm. But if that manager or agent drops you as a client, your visa is now null and void. And you might've just spent 5,000 pounds saving up for this visa and moved to LA. And for whatever reason, maybe your manager drops you or they decide that they're gonna to move to another company or they're not gonna manage anymore. And they've decided that, hey, you know what? Instead, I'm gonna go be a voiceover uh, producer. And then and you're kind of beep out of luck. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when we have actors on the podcast, we always ask them, what, what advice would you give to upcoming actors and like people who want to pursue it as a career? And, you know, most times you'll get the, oh, if you really love it, you do it, all that kind of stuff. This is the kind of shit they need to hear, man. This is, this yeah. is the nuts and bolts of it kind of thing. Yeah. Moving to the United States to do acting. I've never heard this perspective and I'm really confused about the, the visa you got to start that kind of makes you a slave to the company. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely now, mine wasn't like that. Mine was, was sort of an, a generic three-year one visa, um, which didn't tie me to companies. But there was the Tintin experience, which was paramount. And then I auditioned for something on CSI Miami. And the paperwork went through and they were like, no, can't do it audition for something on The Mentalist, which I think was CBS and casting called them were like, wait, he's on an 01, right? And that was that. Then I worked on a Fox show called Raising Hope. And I was in my trailer and the first AD knocked on the door and was like, hey, wait, are you on an 01 visa? And I was like, Ooh, yeah, I am. And then there was like three hours that went by for them to be able to process paperwork that they said they needed to do but the worst one I won't say the show's name <laughs> it was a great it was, I had a great time on the show I booked this role on a show and everything was fine <laughs> went for wardrobe went fitting turned up for filming for the day I knew I was going to be used for the whole day and so I did my due diligence and I left my phone in my trailer uh, so that I could focus for the day. And no one mentioned anything to me on set. Everyone was so nice on set. And then I got back to my trailer and I looked at my phone and I had like 23 voicemails and so many text messages. And the first one started out, you know, kind of mild. And it was someone from production saying, hey, Dominic, it's Sarah from production. I just want to check are you on an O-1 visa? And then I listened to the next voicemail and it was like, hey, Dominic, it's Sarah again. Um, I looked at your paperwork. You're on an O-1 visa. We need to figure this out. And then the next voicemail and each voicemail got progressively worse and worse and worse. You could hear panic filling in all these people. I got phone calls from the casting director that was like, Dominic, you're on an O-1 visa. 
No one told us you're on an O-1 visa. And then my manager is calling, uh, leaving messages saying, hey, she's South African. So if I slip into a South African accent, that's why. Um, hey, um, they had all the information. I don't know what's going on. They knew you were on an O-1 visa. All the paperwork was squared away. You signed everything. And then, oh man, the last voicemail that I have, I, it's not on my current phone. It's on, it's on my old phone, but I saved it. It's this person from production literally saying, Dominic, you have just cost this production $100,000. We're going to have to leave the standing sets up. We're going to have to invite the director back next week. We're going to have to reshoot your scenes with another actor. We're going to have to hire someone else. We're going to have to cut into next week's budget. And, and like, oh my God, I thought my career was over. I thought that the whole world had come crashing down. Um, and that's what it was like on an O-1 visa for me. And I've heard similar horror stories from friends. And um, I went, I mean, gosh, g getting my green card, converting to a green card changed my life emotionally and career-wise from just the standpoint of, oh my gosh, now I can work on any show and any production without this fear of of anything going horribly horribly wrong um what, what do you need to get a green card um so there are criteria that you you have to fill uh it's similar to getting an o1 visa when you get an o1 visa to go and work in in the states you have to fill criteria and so this is something that i would advocate for any actors that are, are going through drama school or want to move to america is saved everything every piece of literature that you have every headshot that you've ever taken have backups have photocopies newspaper cuttings uh, because you have to build a portfolio to hand to immigration to say hey i'm a professional actor i'm good at what i do here are my headshots here are my reviews here are letters of references from directors in the industry um, you knew, like, I cut out newspaper clippings from the Radio Times that showed when my episode of Doctor Who aired, um, all this kind of stuff. I, I mean, luckily I, I'd worked on Doctor Who and so then there was like the Doctor Who encyclopedia and the Doctor Who lookbook and so there were pages of these things that I could cut out and be like, look at this professional thing that I, I've done. Um, and so you've, you've convinced immigration that you're a big deal. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was, I was very fortunate that people that I'd worked with gave me letters of references. I did a, I did a cell phone commercial for, I don't know if it's still going in the UK for a, a store called The Link. And there was a director there called Mark Mylod. And I had a great day, but it was like, it was a one day commercial shoot and I knew that I was gonna go do this a one visa process and a couple of months later I just sent his agent an email being like hey I'm gonna go to America would you give me a letter of reference and he oh so kindly did um god bless him and then it wasn't again this is naivety and wide-eyed bushy-tailed but it wasn't until after I'd sent that email that I realized that he was the director of Ali G in the house. And, you know, he's subsequently gone on to have like 
this big career and he's directed episodes of Game of Thrones and all these big, big productions. And looking back, if I'd have known who he, who he really was before I'd sent that letter being like, hey, can I have a reference? I would never have emailed. I would never have sent an email being like, hello, I'm going to America. Uh, can I have a reference? Um, I would have been like, oh no, he's too big. He'll, he'll never do it. And so, you know, sometimes I guess you just have to... But as you've learned, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm getting better at that too. You know, I'm, I'm, something I still struggle with is, um, I guess, imposter syndrome, where you, you yeah. get to a set and you still feel like, I don't deserve to be here, even though you've auditioned and you've had callbacks and... Mm. Like, what am I doing here? Yeah, I still people. get it. I yeah. still get it all the time all the time um and it's it's terrible but it, yeah. you know it's it's part and parcel of who i am and i know that i'm aware that i do that to myself i think a lot of people do yeah yeah man this has been good so far because uh, <laughs> you know it, it's always when we ask okay someone wants to become an actor what do they do it's uh, do it mm-hmm Okay, well, oh, that, that's that's a great answer um or also some people but uh when you get like your own experience and what it took you to get to where you are you know it, it's actually very useful information to people but um so we talked a little bit about you being an actor but mm-hmm. as a director which is something you said you want to get into more how's yeah. that gone um good you know um I was telling you guys, I think before we started the podcast, that that as as an actor, so much of your time is spent waiting for auditions or waiting for other people to give you the opportunity to audition. And then you go, you get ready, and then you audition against, you know, anywhere between eight and 50 other people for a guest star. And if it's a series regular, anywhere between you know, a hundred and five hundred people for a role and you know, you're you're always under someone else's power. Someone is always giving you the job. And so I wanted to create work for myself. So I started writing and then yeah, just just jumping into directing. I, I always I love film and television and and visual media like that. And I've always wanted to do it. Um, And luckily I was at a a point in my career where I could say, hey, I can put some of my own money into getting cameras and crew and a DP and a gaffer and a grip and go and make this thing. Um, So yeah, that's, that's what I started exploring with Sam Did It. And I loved it. I loved it so much. And then I jumped onto um, Ryan Murphy, who did uh, Glee and American Horror Story and uh, Feud out here, has a director mentorship program called the Half Initiative. And so I applied to that with Sam Did It. And then I was able to go and shadow on a couple of episodes of 911. Um, and I'm, I've always been the, the kind of actor that when I'm on set, I'm not up in everyone's 
business, uh, but I'll sit in, in what's called Video Village. Uh, and for anyone that doesn't know what Video Village is, it's uh, where the director sits, where the script supervisor sits, producers and everyone sits and they can watch what's going on on the monitors. Um, and I always go and sit there and I ask questions and I, I'm like a sponge on set. I just want to keep learning everything I can. Um, I forgot where I'm going. I went off on a mad tangent. Um, so you like, yeah. like learning uh, while you're on set as an actor? Yeah. Um, this helps you as a director. Yeah. And, and you know, also, and I, I don't mean this in a, in a sleazy way at all, I, I like talking to people and making connections with people because, you know, that, that, that second camera assistant probably doesn't want to be a second camera assistant for his whole life. He wants to become the first camera assistant and then he wants to be the camera operator and then he wants to be the DP and then he wants to direct. And so when, when you talk to the crew and you, you get to know people, then when it comes time for you to make your own projects, you can say, oh my gosh, that guy Kyle, who was the second camera assistant on that show I did two years ago, I bet he would love the chance to DP on the short film that I'm making, or you know, the sound mixer. Maybe now he wants to do the whole sound um, scope of, of a short film. Um, everyone that you, that you meet, the, the thing, yeah, you know, the same same way for for actors that are always looking for the next job. So too are hair and makeup and wardrobe and camera people everyone is is always looking for for what's next and so if you write a film and you go to them and you're offering them something and saying hey i wrote this thing would you be interested in doing camera or or hair and makeup you know again i was lucky that i was in a position that i knew going into making sam did it that i wanted to pay everybody on set even if it was, you know, the, the SAG minimum of $125 a day, that everyone that was on my set was going to get paid. And then you're, you're going to people and say, hey, I don't have a lot of money, but I would love to have you on board and I can pay you. I've got $500 for wardrobe. What can we do? And I've got, hey, I knew that I wanted to spend a little bit more on, on camera stuff and say, hey, I'm looking for a DP. I've got $3,000 to spend on an Ari Alexa package and a DP and I've got 300 bucks for a camera assistant and a focus puller and 500 bucks for sound and a mixer. Um, and learning to budget all that stuff was so helpful too. Um, I went on, I, I went on such a, a circle there guys that I don't know where I started, but that was the experience of putting Sam together was asking people and budgeting and storyboarding yeah. 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 Well, you said, you said it's good to make connections. You know? we, got, we got to the end of it. Yeah. That's, you just like whittled it down. Thomas was just like, it's good to make connections. And I went on a five minute tirade. <laughs> yeah. But like, if we asked every question, like, this, is, this is a long form conversation. You know, it's somewhat educational. You're pulling from people's experiences. If we're like, okay, so what's it like being an actor? Good. Okay. How'd you become an actor? I auditioned. Uh -huh. uh, what's like being a director? I direct. Yeah, yeah. We get that so a lot. We don't hear in about twenty seconds. You know, this this is the kind of stuff we live for, man. These long Good. life experiences. It helps us. Helps everyone. Yeah. You know. 
we, we learn from each other and uh, that's exactly what you were going on about. Uh, like you're learning from people on set how to do what they do and yeah. you're incorporating that into what you do. And it's not in a, it's not in a surreptitious way that you communicate with people and think, ha, 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 in three years time, I'm going to use you. It's not, it's <laughs> about, it's just about building genuine connections yeah. that, you know, and then celebrating people's success, going through the, the half initiative and then uh, meeting my friend Hernando and then you know, two years later, now he's a writer on, on Nurse Ratchet on Netflix. And so you send a text and be like, oh my God, this is so great. This is wonderful. Um, and, and celebrating those things and, and seeing yeah. where everyone is going and, and what they're working on. Um, and the flip side of it too, you have a connection for them. Yeah. So that if the first AD is like, oh, you're looking for cast? I know this guy. I don't know that's ever happened but you know it works both ways though you're, you're right in not saying that like you know if you're there for someone they're gonna be there for you kind of thing like yeah 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 we've had similar experiences with this um like we had a guest and he, he booked the show but he was also with a, get, he was with a guy we asked to get on the show but uh -huh. he was a bit like Meh. so we said okay how about we get both of you on uh when the show is out and go from there uh -huh. Or we talk to someone and say, we liked, liked how they were. We looked into people who were on the same show as they were, and we find more. That, right. that happened with one of our recent episodes. So it's kind of in any form of entertainment, like nearly any form, it is who you know. Yeah. Like that, that can be unfortunate at times, but fortunate in others. You do have to make connections. You do have to be very social if you are... If you're a shy guy in the corner, just showing up to work, just doing the job, just going home, you're not going to get as far as someone who's chatting up to um, assist, assistants of all kinds and trying to learn. Yeah, that stuff. I don't mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm very aware of my surroundings in terms of like, I'm not going to go and talk up to, to people who are in the middle of a conversation and be like, hey, what's up, guys? Whoa, what are we lighting today? You know, like, and I'm, I'm woefully bad at any kind of networking events that are about introducing yourself in, in like parties and what I, I cannot do that. But on set, you just act like a human being, just be a decent human being and, and talk to people and interact with people. And I've had, you know, uh, good experiences and bad experiences of doing that when, when you're a what you call a guest actor when you're going from show to show and maybe you're doing one episode or two episodes of something at a time when you arrive to set you sort of have to feel out the environment that you're going into because some sets are very open and warm and you get there and they're like oh my god welcome to the family and other sets you get there and they're cold sets and you know that, all right, this is a set where I keep my mouth shut, I go in and do my work and then I go home and that's okay. One of my first experiences in LA, one of the very first things that I booked here was a TV show that will remain nameless. And I got to set and it was just a small, it was just a small one day role and again, 
I was younger and I was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, but still had the wherewithal to know when I was would be intruding on a conversation. And they had set the cast chairs up and there were a couple of series regulars and guest stars and, and there was me. And we were all sitting around in a circle and there was some light chit chat. And I heard someone, one of the series regulars speak with a British accent. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so nice to hear a British accent. And she was looking at, oh, I said she, um, she or he uh, was looking at their phone and they put their phone down and I was like, okay, they're not doing anything else. They're not going over lines or anything. And I said, whereabouts in England are you from? And oh boy, I got the dirtiest stare. I got the dirtiest, dirtiest stare from them. And they, oh, they shot daggers right into my soul. And then I was like, okay, all right, cool, I get it. And then the AD came over and they called us over to set and we rehearsed the scene and we shot some of the scene and did what we needed to do. And then when we came back to the cast chairs, my chair had been moved into its own separate room. And the AD was like, hey, uh, you know, you just, you can't talk to the series regulars. <laughs> I was like, what? I just asked where in England they were from. Um, so that was one of my first experiences of- Yeah, there's a lot of onset snobbery. It's crazy. It's disgusting. It's crazy. Um, you know, I'll you talk- You think you're above someone asking you like, oh, hey, where are you from? I'll talk oh, you're to- English, I'm English. Yeah, I'll talk to anyone. I'll talk to absolutely anyone, um, you know, and you, you, it's, you can feel out a situation, you know, if someone is going to be doing a big, difficult, hard scene and you can see that they're in their script and they're focused and they're learning, people will give you visual cues about, okay, this is not a good time. And you just read that out. But if people are just sitting around in a circle, looking at phones and, you know, it just, I, it makes me so sad when people are mean, mm -hmm. just in general, but especially in, in this industry, because it's, you know, I'm sure you've heard it before, it's, it's an old trope, but we're not saving lives, we're making television. Yeah, having fun. That, sounds, that sounds more like a her problem or he your problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, they, they sound... Well, you're less like those are she. <laughs> they sound stuck up and you know it's not your fault bro <laughs> no yeah uh but you know when when you're uh when you're a working actor and a, you're a guest star that's what you have to kind of figure out when you come into these new environments is exactly yeah. what the set is and what the hierarchy of the not the hierarchy that makes it sound like <laughs> just who's uh, a dick you know you gotta figure out who's a dick and who's not yeah. uh you know and and you'd be surprised uh, i I worked on Star Trek Picard last year. Yes. And I, I see I seen like the makeup they put on you. Oh and that was insane. It was so cool. And they were the nicest people. They were the nicest human beings. And these are people, you know, this is people that have been in the industry for the for decades. And they were so nice. And I, I met Jonathan Frakes, who directed the episode. He was he was Riker in, in Next Generation. 
and he was the the guy that I said, you know, the the prosthetic guy brought me up to him and was like, hey, this is Dominic. He's going to be playing Mr. Vup. And he, he was in the canteen. He stood up, he threw open his arms and he was like, Dominic, welcome to the family. And he gave me a hug. Of course, this was before COVID times. So and nice. they, oh, That sounds so nice. That's so but, welcoming as well. It's like, it's, it's the experience he should Dominic, experience. Welcome to the family. That's, that's so nice. And, but the other, you know, the other thing is, and it's, it's something that I will always advocate for, no matter if I direct or write or whatever I go on to do. I, I know for myself that I do my best work when it is a nice environment, when it is a comfortable environment and you feel free to take risks with your character or decisions that there isn't this pressure cooker of like you feeling like people are staring at you being like, uh-huh, what can you do? What can you do? Um, when people are warm and open and engaged, then you, you can play and you can experiment. And I just think the work is better that way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about a positive work environment. Mm -hmm. And, mm. Uh, you know, there's a lot to be said about a bad one too. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. yep. So I have this curiosity and I need you to confirm it. Oh. Um, so it's about the food on set. Uh -huh. In my opinion, and the opinion of so actually every actor I've asked, the food on set is better than their own mother's cooking. It's the best cooking on planet. <laughs> best food there is in the world. On set catering. You never showed up about this man, do you? It's what like do you think? <laughs> he said Star Trek. I said tasty food. I mean, listen. Well, here's the thing on Star Trek because I was in prosthetics. Um, whenever I do a show and I'm in prosthetics. I'm no, very careful about oh. eating uh, because you don't want to mess up all the makeup. Oh. Um, but Did they let you take some home. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, here's the thing. There have been, especially the first five, six years that I was out in Los Angeles, when oh man, there have been days, guys, when I had so little money. I was working in the movie theater that I worked at this movie theater called uh, the ArcLight. And it's in Sherman Oaks and outside there's this fountain. And there was one night where I finished work and I, I had nothing. I had no money whatsoever. And I went to the ATM and I couldn't get money out of my American account because I was overdrawn. And I went to my NatWest account thinking, oh my God, please let me be able to get $20 out. And I had like eight pounds in my NatWest account. I couldn't get money out of my UK account and I was so desperate that at two o'clock in the morning after I finished the shift at the cinema I roll I took off my shoes and my socks and I rolled up my trousers and I waded into this fountain to pull out 25 cents and all the, the change that I could so that I could take the 150 bus down Ventura Boulevard uh, and get home at night so any, any food that I can get on set during those times is divine. Because I was just, there were days when I was eating dry cereal and there was a place maybe a mile away from where I was living at the time called uh, Little Caesars Pizza and you could get a full pizza for five bucks. And that's what I was living on. And soda at the, oh no, no, no. So any, any, food that you get on set then is delightful. Any free food is good food. 
Um, but particularly then, particularly in the first five years of, of being out here, yeah, I, I'd go through craft services and then I'd go back through again and be like, well, this is, this is dinner. This is, this is for tomorrow. And you, you know, you do what you've got to do to, to survive and, and make it work. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I like craft service. Sure. Yeah. Um, I had an amazing experience on, on set up last year and all the foods last day. Uh-huh. And I, I'd never had lamb before. And I go up, I get a la- lamb stew. And I was like, okay, how, how, uh-huh. how's this going to be? And oh, by the end of it, I was, I was begging for more. Uh-huh. And then it, it was someone on set, like a big actor there, it was his birthday. So they got cake, unrealistic uh-huh. amounts of cake. So we got lots of cake. So cake, but they also gave me like a couscous salad. And I was just sitting there like, this 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 meal is more than I'm getting paid for the whole day. Mm-hmm. No, it just the way we were treated on set, amazing. The food we got, I didn't shut up about it to anyone. Anyone who listened, <laughs> I was talking about the food. Yeah, sometimes it's great, and you know, sometimes you you work on product, and people are so you know, I I talked about that bad experience on on that early show. They they really are few and far between frequently you get to set and everyone is so warm and so welcoming and then someone will knock on the door and say hey the producers bought a a coffee truck for the day and then you know there's a coffee truck outside or like a taco truck outside and all this wonderful people are so warm and so welcoming and so friendly and um yeah The, the last day i worked on a film last year called breaking news in yuba county and the last day that we worked on that film, they had bought in a live band to play for us at craft service. They had set up so cool. the nicest craft service table and it was down in Mississippi and there was a lot of fresh seafood. Uh, I don't really eat a lot of seafood, but it, the display was divine and there was like chocolate fountains, every kind of dessert that you could think of. Um, yeah, the food can be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot to be said about those coffee trucks, especially yeah. the ones you don't have to pay for. Yeah, you know, it's just uh, that. What was it that I? I think it was Ant Farm, and every week someone had paid for a different coffee truck or food truck to come in on on a Friday, um, and it's nice, you know. And then all the crew is there, and they bond, and it, it's it's really really nice. I, I I mean I I love this career so much. I I know that. It's hard and it's tough, and I've I've spoken about nightmare situations, but I I wouldn't want to be involved in any other career or, or industry at all. And if you weren't an actor, well, what else do you think you'd be doing? I mean, you know, if it if it wasn't anything to do in the creative industry at all, because now by proxy I'm spreading out into writing and and directing, so all of that for me encompasses storytelling if it was anything other to do with the the entertainment industry at all um i I would have loved to have gone to school for veterinary science Uh, i love animals and um cats i think it's all yeah yeah um (laughs) what are the names what's the names the names of my cats my five cats uh we've got frodo and pippin oh wow Um, yes (laughs) yes 
we've got uh, Ripley of Aliens fame. Um, and then we got Blink, who is blind. So he always looks like he's blinking. Um, and then we got Nub Nub, who has three legs. Uh, oh. And we call him that because he has this little uh, little nub uh, on his back leg. Uh, yeah, they're my they're my five cats. But yeah, I would have I would have gone into uh, to veterinary medicine. I think that's cool. Yeah, but I have no regrets. You know, I I went to a, a high school that was very good. I you know. I'm very, very fortunate to have gone there, um, but they were very, very academically. Uh, th- it was very, it was a very academic school, um, and so when I said that I wanted to audition for drama school, I went to our career counselor. Uh, I just threw out quotation marks for anyone that uh, couldn't see that. <laughs> um, I went to the career counselor and said, hey, I want to audition for drama school. And she just flat out said, then there's nothing I can do to help you. <laughs> and then we just sat oh, in, in silence for 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, for hell? guidance. Ah, uh, uh, no, that's it. And <laughs> I can't help you. What the Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> we sat in silence for 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> She tried, she tried so hard. I don't know if uh, the, the names of the forms have changed time uh, to, to go to university, you filled out UCAS forms. Yes, we um, UCAS. And at first she tried and she was like, why don't you go to university and fill out this form and study English with drama? And I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to, I want to do this drama school and jump in. Guidance counselors, like career guidance counselors. Uh-huh. If you have anything that it is like not STEM, it's not really like frowned upon. I said I wanted to do uh, film production, uh-huh. and I got recommend. I left that room with three papers of engineering. Yeah. Not once having said I want to do engineering, I was told I should do engineering. But yeah, there you go. It's, it's so it's it's so hard. People people that aren't creatively minded, I I think just don't understand and. You know, I'm sure it still happens. It still happens to me all the time. People that, that you meet that, that aren't aware that you're working and you'll meet them. And there's that initial shame when you, you leave drama school or, or you meet someone and they say, oh, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm, I'm an actor. And then immediately it's like, oh, are you on EastEnders? Are you on Coronation Street? <laughs> <laughs> if it's not a yes to those two questions, then it's like, okay, you're a failure. And oh, there's what, where were you in? What would I know? Yeah. Uh, well, when you're fresh out of drama school, you have like three or four student short films. Maybe you got a uh-huh. guest appearance and something. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to answer that question. It, it's so even to this day, whenever anyone asks me if I, if I jump into a lift or a taxi or, or anything and they're like, what do you do? And there's still somewhere psychologically the, this shame that I think is, is associated with, with doing a career in the arts. And I, gosh, I hate it. And I hate myself for, for feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm an actor, but yeah. And they're like, what have you been in? And I'm like, ah, 
bits and pieces. Like I'm, I'm around, and then you feel like you have to list your resume or your yeah. CV. Yeah. That's because it's kind of like the question comedians get. Oh, you're a comedian? Say something funny. Yeah. yeah. Say to a carpenter, hey, build me a table. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing though with like that these people, like people you talk to, they see the same ten to twenty actors in everything. Uh-huh. You know, like it's it's between between Star Wars, Marvel. Game of Thrones, they're all integrating into one, and like, you know, you're. Uh, I want to say, like, people tough, in your situation, you know? it is tough, yeah. The, and there's this stigma, and I hate it, and there shouldn't be, that is associated with. You know, I, I, I went to a friend's wedding not long ago, maybe two years ago, and I met uh, the groom's father, um, who I didn't know. And he, he said, oh, what is it that you do, Dominic? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm an actor. And he said, oh, so you wait tables then? And first of all, I don't want to swear on your show. No, you swear. You swear. No, you're not allowed to swear. You know, like, f- fuck you. Like, there's no shame. There's no shame in waiting tables. There's no shame in, in working to sustain yourself. If you're an actor, there's there's no, or even if you're not an actor, there's no shame in whatever job you are doing to sustain yourself or your family. And so that really, that really grinds my gears a little. Um, and I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm working. And then, you know, something switched inside of me and I said, oh, what do, what do you do? And he was like, I'm a, I'm a doctor. And I said, oh, so you play a lot of golf. And he got so mad. He got so, so mad. But it's like, ah, it it drives me nuts. That that snooty, just, yeah, it it makes me really sad. It's, yeah. Definitely a stigma behind acting. Yeah, it's it's one of those unfortunate ones, but it's it's there. And I don't think it's gone away for a while. Those tabloid articles, you know, if someone is is on a show, say they're on like Casualty or EastEnders or Coronation Street, whatever they're on, and then they leave the show and then there's this awful tabloid article that'll come out 12 months later and say, oh, look at such and such, working in a supermarket. What a fall from grace. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not. They're just working to provide for their families. Blah. Sorry, I got really... That's all right. I hate tabloids, and I think they exploit people's lives to their advantage, and it's... You're uh, right You're right in saying that, that they'll come up with an article 12 months, like, where is she now? You know, like... Yeah. They'll play that to their advantage. It's shocking. It's shocking. Like... Yeah. It's, it's tough. It, it, yeah. It's the only way to put it. But, like, people who go to acting school, you know... I think it's all like the if I do when you said earlier the mentality of like I just need one more thing. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not all that. It there's a lot to it. There's a lot of you know there's the, a there's a lot with the positivity. Heartbreak. There's a lot of you you have to know going into it. L- listen, I, I said it. I wouldn't want to do anything else. I I love acting i love being in this career but you you've got to know going into it that there is so much rejection 
that there is so much heartbreak that so much of it isn't to do with who is the best actor and who is right for the part. Some of it might come down for, to looks. I have lost roles because I'm too tall. I've lost roles because I'm too short. I've lost roles because I'm not big enough. And I'm six foot five and I'm 300 pounds, you know, like, and I still lose jobs because I'm too small or whatever it is, or that my hairline is receding or that you, you don't match anyone else on screen if they're trying to build a family and they say, ah, well, it looks weird because that guy has blonde hair and everyone else in the family is a brunette, then so it looks weird. Um, or I'm six foot five and so I'm always a good foot above everyone else yeah. on camera. And so then it looks weird if they're trying to build, you know, a circle of friends, whatever it is. And so much of it is out of your control and, and you know, we're, we're actors and we're emotional beings and it gets, it gets really hard to, to separate what feels really personal when someone says that you haven't got a role. And so frequently it's not about you. There's so many moving pieces. There's, there's, I can only think of one circumstance that's, that's felt really personal, uh, that do I talk about it? Let's talk. Uh, you can if you want. If you, about do, it. If you feel Let's, comfortable, yeah, of course, go for it. I, I haven't spoken about this publicly. You can be the first, but there was a show, man, I'm not going to give you the year so that no one can, can figure it out. I, uh, I booked a, oh, I'll give you the long version. Sure, let's give you the long version. Um, an audition came in for a series regular on a pilot. And I say, great, cool, awesome. Uh, the audition's for Wednesday, I'll, I'll prepare. Uh, Wednesday morning comes around and I have a phone call from my agent and they say, hey, um, they don't wanna see you for the pilot anymore, they're going in a different direction. Cool, great, whatever, don't worry about it. Next Monday rolls around, I have a phone call from my agent and they say, hey, um, so they do want to see you for that pilot. So, um, you're going back in this Wednesday, prepare all the material. Cool. Great. I already learned the lines. Wednesday morning comes around. Hey, no, they, they don't want to see you anymore. Um, just forget about it. Forget about it. We're, we're not going to worry about it. Two hours later, I have another phone call. Hey, um, they really want to see you just getting, get, get in the car right now drive down, do the audition, and just let them see you. So I race down, do the audition. Half an hour goes by, I have a phone call from my agent. Oh my God, they loved you so, so much. They're gonna network test you, um, stand by. And when you network test, it means that you go to you know the studio and you're down to like the last one, two, three people for this role. And you sign your contract beforehand and it changes your life. And so then you're like, oh, cool, they're going to network test me. And I waited for a week. I waited for two weeks. And then I had a phone call to say, hey, yeah, it's not, they're not going to move forward with you. It's not going to move forward. So then it's like, fine. So you put it out of your head. And then 
three, four weeks later, I have a phone call to say, they can't get you out of their heads. So they're going to write a character just for you. And you're going to be a recurring guest on this show. And they're going to make this role for you. Uh, send us a video of you singing. So I send this video of me singing, had a phone call back saying, hey, um, they need something more upbeat. So you send them something more upbeat and then you get the role. <laughs> and they're like, cool, I did it. I got, I got this role that's gonna be recurring on the show. And you turn up to set and the producers and everyone there are happy and they're saying, hey everybody, this is Dominic. Dominic's gonna be playing I don't want to give it away, uh, this character and throughout the season, they're going to do this and this and this and this. And so everything feels great and you shoot the pilot and everything is wonderful. And then a couple of months go by and the show gets picked up, which means that it goes to series, which means there's going to be, you know, between 13 and 26 episodes. And there's a party at one of the series regulars house and you get invited and everyone's like, we're so happy every, like we're one big happy family and you feel good and you go home and then a month goes by and then you start seeing on Instagram and Twitter, all of the people on this show being like, here we are, we're at the table read for episode two. And then you start going, wait, what? What do you mean you're the, the table read for episode two? Why don't I hit the table read for episode two? And then you see more posts like, we're in wardrobe fittings. Here we are. We're preparing for episode three. And so then I'm like, oh no, why aren't, why aren't I in episode three? And so I, I got on the phone with my manager and she made some phone calls and nobody, nobody would give her a straight answer. And everyone was dancing around it and saying, oh, yeah, we just, uh, we can't afford so many guest star actors uh, on the show this year. And then there's something called breakdowns out here, which is where they release the, the acting roles. And then my manager is like, well, that's bullshit because they're releasing roles every week for new guest star actors. So it's not about money. <laughs> They've got the money. Um, and then they would come back and they would say, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not about Dominic. Dominic's too big for the show. Like he's, he's too big of a name for the show. We wouldn't want to give him such a small role. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything else. Like I want to do the show. Um, anyway, then you find out through Instagram that they have replaced me with, and another guy, they replaced another guy too. Um, but they replaced me with sort of a doppelganger, another big heavy set white guy and so then I've still never got an answer and there were there were days where I hovered my fingers and I typed a letter to the to, to the showrunner to be like hey what happened and then I was like oh, I can't do that and I deleted it and then a couple of days would go by and I'd be like no I'm gonna write this letter to them and then I delete it and still to this day have never gotten an answer about what happened, but that that's the only instance that I can think of that has been felt so personal where at some point during the process, someone in that room said, we don't want that guy. 
that's not the guy that we want. Yeah. Um, and that's acting. That's if you want to go into acting, that's acting. Yeah, be ready for it. But we gotta finish up. And if you want to keep up with Dominic, where can you find him? Oh uh, gosh, I'm at. I think I'm just at Dominic Burgess on Twitter, and I think I'm Dominic Burgess one on Instagram because someone else got there first. Oh, unreal! Imagine <laughs> someone else been born with the same name. Dickhead. Ella. We hate you, you know Dominic, Burgess. Dominic Burgess. Dominic Burgess isn't even my real name. My my legal name is uh, Dominic Cooper, but there's already an actor called Dominic Cooper. Uh, oh, my name. Yeah, yeah. And I think actually Michael Keaton is Michael Douglas. Um, really? Oh. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of same names out there. We're dropping all the Hollywood facts. So if you want to yeah. keep up with us, <laughs> make sure to hit that follow button, like the video, and why don't you tell your grandma about the podcast? And sure, you know, take it, take it handy. handy.